Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire series of Harry Bosch, so please proceed with extreme caution. Those had probably been assigned to security for the congressman, so they would hit it off and the legislator would go back to Washington with a high opinion of personnel and morale in Southeast Asia. There's no coincidences. The second page of the letter congratulated Meadows on a fine career and referred to a good report Noon had received from Meadows' commanding officer. Bosch read on. Meadows' involvement in stopping an illegal entry into the embassy hotel during the congressman's stay was mentioned. A Lieutenant Rourke had furnished the details of Meadows' heroics to the congressman's staff. Bosch felt it trembling below his heart, as if the blood was draining from it. The letter finished with some small talk about the home parish. There was a large flowing signature of the congressman and typed in a notation at the bottom left margins, U.S. Army Records Division, Washington, D.C., Lieutenant John H. Rourke, U.S. Embassy, Saigon. Bosch stared at the second page for a long time without moving or breathing. He actually felt the beginning sensation of nausea and wiped his hand across his forehead. He tried to think if he ever heard of Rourke's middle name or initials. He couldn't remember, but it didn't matter. There's no doubt. No coincidences. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Also, please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or our Facebook and Instagram pages that are set up just for our fans. Now that all that's out the way, it's time for us to get back to work and probe deep into the Black Echo. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, we explored part six of the Black Echo, where Bosch and Wish start tracking the Vietnamese gangsters early the next morning. Bosch utilizes IED technology to bug Ben's phone. Utilizing his call history, Bosch and Wish track down Ben's partner, Tran. Bosch and Wish follow Tran to the Beverly Hills safe and lock and observe Tran leave with suspected diamonds in a briefcase. Rourke puts in motion a plan to intercept the tunneling criminals as they break into the safe and lock. Bosch grows suspicious that their investigation is proceeding too easily. Wish disclosed to Bosch that she visited the Vietnam Wall and renews her fervent commitment to justice. During this episode, we will be taking a deep dive into Part 7, Saturday, May 26. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It is my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens, so proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. Let's open up the murder book and turn a page to the chronological record so that we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered thus far in this chapter. During the surveillance, Bosch reviews several documents from the VA hospital. Included in these records is a two-page letter from a congressman thanking Meadows for his hospitality during a recent fact-finding visit to Saigon. The second page notes that Meadows' commanding officer a Lieutenant John H. Rourke has spoken highly of him. Bosch calls Rourke to reveal Meadows' complete file shows that Rourke was a CO. Rourke replies by stating that he had a lot of people under his command and does remember Meadows. Bosch tells Rourke that that was a weak answer and hangs up. Bosch phones the LAPD dispatch and asks for a confirmation of a SWAT callout in the Beverly Hills area. Getting it, Bosch realized that the vault is a decoy, having flushed out Tran and the diamonds. Rourke would take him down. Bosch has played into his hands. Bosch shows the letter to Wish and tells how he confronted Rourke. They are spinning their wheels here, watching a vault, and have led Tran to the slaughter. A short time later, the surveillance team feels a vibration that is assumed to be associated with the breaking of the Beverly Hills safe and lock. 
Bosch meets Avery and the two patrol officers and instruct them to proceed as normal. As instructed by Bosch, Avery leaves the business and proceeds to a diner not far from the event location. En route to the diner's location, Avery is pulled over by IED detectives Lewis and Clark. Lewis requests Avery to run down his interactions with Bosch. Armed with the information Avery has provided him, Lewis attempts to contact Deputy Chief Irving, but is unable to reach him to get further instructions. Lewis informs Clark that with the assistance of Avery, they are going to go into the vault. In a failed attempt to stop them, Bosch witnessed the vault being opened, at which time both Lewis and Clark are shot dead by the tunnelers concealed within. As Bosch approaches the vault entrance, he proceeds to shoot one of the tunnelers before he had disappeared through the hole in the floor. Acting on pure instinct, Bosch reverts to his Vietnam experience and follows the tunnelers inside the hole. Utilizing a trail of blood and scrape marks, Bosch finds a dead Franklin slumped against the wall. Bosch takes Franklin M16 night goggles and proceeds to follow an ever-dwindling trail. Ash Bosch proceeds to stalk the other tunnelers. He happens upon Delgado, who believes Bosch is Franklin because of the night vision goggles. A shootout ensues, and Bosch is shot in the shoulder. After shooting Bosch, Delgado runs down the tunnel but stops and proceeds to argue with an unknown person. Sometime during this argument, Bosch hears two gunshots, followed by slow footsteps approaching him. Rourke emerges and proceeds to taunt the ever-weakening Bosch. Rourke admits that he killed Meadows because Meadows held back the jade bracelet and pawned it. This action exposed the overall plan to steal trans diamonds. Rourke further expressed his frustration concerning Sharky, who had called 911, and the only detective who get the call is Bosch, who can quickly ID Meadows. As Rourke is poised to shoot Bosch, two gunshots are heard. Bosch then sees Rourke, his light, and weapon fall, and Rourke slump against the tunnel wall. Things begin to go out of focus, but Bosch hears a woman's voice telling him everything is going to be okay. Then he saw Eleanor Wish's face floating in and out of focus, and then he sank into a blackness. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape, examine the clues. For the defining theme of part seven, Friday, May 27th is, there are no coincidences. Hello again. We start this chapter off, things are really starting to heat up here in uh, this particular portion of the uh, book. And we pick up with Bosch watching the, uh, on surveillance, and he's letting Eleanor sleep through the night. And that's happened to me tons of time. You know, when you um, are in a groove and you have a partner, male or female, but I think, I think right now Bosch is kind of a little bit of both. He has a little bit of insomnia. He does always have us. He he has gone to the VA hospital for his sleep disorder, but he also mentions Michael mentions in this particular portion of the book where he actually is watching Wish. Mostly, I believe, um, lover, uh, having all these good all these good feelings about her, and also why wake her up when he's not going to go to sleep anyway. Then Bosch picks up the information he received from the VA hospital in St. Louis and again over he he rereads the packet over and over again and that's what we do that's what good investigative work do it's kind of like like I think Michael is just like picking with a loose tooth you got to do that a good investigator doesn't just read something one time you always read it with when new information comes up you reread everything all over again because that new information can put the whole investigation thus far portion of the investigation into a different light so a good investigator always over um, reads things over and over again. Again, it's kind of it, 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 if you're not a, a cop and you don't understand it, it becomes quite annoying sometimes because a lot of people say, dude, didn't we just read that over again? Or why are you rereading that again? But that habit of Bosch has been honed and has shown over and over again. Again, right now it shows why rereading something again you 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 can, you miss things. We all human because again, you're looking at something or a bit of evidence from a different perspective. So 
by him rereading um, that information from the VA hospital, a couple of things just started bringing things into light, bringing some issues into light. One of the first things that was brought into light is he found that letter from the congressman and the fact that him, uh, the congressman and Meadows were from the same area of the uh, of the country and Meadows happened to be on the detail. Again, but it's like there's no coincidences. You know, of course, you know, that that they have put Meadows to be on the security detail because it's always about publicity, especially with, uh, with congressmen or, uh, or any of our legislators or politicians. It's all about greasing the wheels, making sure they understand everything is nice and smooth and everything is, is really easy. It, it's not as bad as maybe the news media had purported it to be. And then the big reveal starts to happen. And once again, you always, it was always on the, on the, on the periphery. It's always on the edges. Even last chapter, Bosch had told Eleanor, things just seem to be going too easily. I mean, it's a homicide investigation. Of course, sometimes you get lucky. Some things should happen and things happen to, things start to fall into place. But if you get complacent like that, you become uh, lazy. And lazy investigators, you start to overlook things. So again, it's very nuanced, very, you you, uh, you look for little details, but you, sometimes you get a, a scratchy, you know, itch to say, you know what, <sighs> This is just going too easy. And then the big reveal happens. He reads the uh, second chapter, excuse me, the second page. And then at the bottom, you know, he sees the, you know, the, uh, the CEO uh, gave a accommodation to uh, Meadows commanding officer, Lieutenant Rourke, Lieutenant John Rourke. And that feeling that he had where I've had that feeling when, you know, Michael described it as a trembling um, trembling in the heart as though blood was draining from it. I, I've had that feeling and you're like, Oh shit. Now it wasn't so much that of a dirty cop in my feeling and with my experience, but a, a, a big reveal or something that someone possibly had missed. Hell, I, I, I remember when I first was a, uh, I first got, um, it got on the department and <laughs> One of the things when you do a search warrant is you're supposed to, we all check our our uh, equipment. You always check your equipment before you leave. And I remember it was hot one day. It was a summer and it was hot. And I left my freaking vest in the search warrant location. Now, any cop doing a search warrant, who's any police officer listening to this can attest to when you get back and you, you, you're you taking everything out, to, every, everything out the car you're about to process it, and you look around like, where's my equipment? You know, and my, my equipment just happened to be my vest. And I'm like, oh, shit. Now, again, that's a small, that's a small, um, it's not, nowhere compares to what Bosch is going through right here. But that seeking feeling, you're like, oh, shit. I left a goddamn. And so you got to rush back there. But, it, it, again, that's not a really good example, but that's the best example I can give you that I had because I've never had a big reveal like this in my experience where I found out that somebody was dirty or, um, but so, so that's the best I can give you guys to let you know. Again, I've had that feeling where your heart stops because in my PD losing in police equipment is not a good thing, especially your vest, your weapon or something to that effect. It's not a good feeling because you will be put through the ringer. And one, what, what I like with what Michael did with this particular aspect of it, Bosch now is going on 100% instinct. And again, Eleanor gets a pager, a page from Rourke because they're supposed to call in at six o'clock. And Bosch said, let me, let me, let me call him. Let me, let me call. Let me talk to him. So when he calls Rourke, he confronts Rourke, but he does, you know, I'm not sure if you guys picked up on this, but he did a couple of things that I thought was really cool, very sleight of hand. One, he called him Lieutenant, he said, Lieutenant Rourke. You know, Lieutenant John Rourke, you know, that was one. And then he said, yeah, you gave me a sanitized version of the um, of his VA files. No. How, how he said he said, no, you gave me a sanitized. You gave Eleanor a sanitized version to give to me. And I thought that was OK. Look, wait a minute. He does not know right now. He can't he, he couldn't remember. Or if he did, he's right off the bat protecting Eleanor or at least putting up some checks and balances really quick, because right now his world just got rocked. And so he said to himself, let me start doing some check, some some checks and balances on my own because I can't trust any of these other fools or anyone else. 
Now, I can tell you from a person who's worked on the federal task force and who has worked with different federal agencies, I think someone has said it one time, and so I don't know who to give the, the attribute to, but working with the feds and speci- specifically the FBI, <laughs> a, a joke, my FBI brothers and sisters out there, you know this is true. So it's like FBI, they eat like elephants, but shit like ants. It means when it comes to information, they soak up a lot of information. But when it comes to giving it, especially to the PDs or anyone else, they give out just a little bit of information. So to have a sanitized report from the FBI or any federal agency is not nothing normal. You do go in knowing that they don't give you everything. They don't give you everything. But this right here was not in that realm of, you know, just keeping information back from the state and locals. This was a big reveal because now we're starting to see that Rourke is now possibly involved because he didn't tell anybody. And Rourke tries to uh, Rourke, Rourke tries to cover up by saying, oh, well, of course, um, I had plenty of people under my, my command back then. You know, I don't remember medals. Well, Bosch counsels by saying, Rourke, you know, that's weak. That's very weak. You would have been better off by saying, you know, you would have been better off just admitting it by coming up with some lame-ass excuse like that. And he said, you know, I'll see you around and hangs the phone up. I thought that was, you know, that was really cool. And I, again, now we see Bosch just going pure on instinct. He's going into, you know, 15 years of experience. I can, I can only trust myself type of thing. So, you know, so he's revisiting everything that he had, you know, consider, considering what Rourke has put in place. You know, was, was all this a bunch of bullshit, you know, from the meeting um, with, the, with the DPW yesterday and how... What is like so? What is Rourke playing at? So Bosch is instinctively now. Let me counter and check on everything that's in place. And he calls. And I like this because I remember, you know, again, uh, my younger my younger listeners, you you don't understand. You know, you have a cell phone and text messaging, and you can call right there from um, from the car. You don't even have to get out of the car. But again, Bosch has to go to the payphone you know, to make the phone call, and. You know, he, he can't call the dispatcher from his cell phone. He has to call the, uh, with a, with, uh, the pay phone. And that was, you know, we has, used to have to keep some quarters um, in our pocket. And yes, no, the PD did not reimburse you for uh, making these type of phone calls. This is all on your own dime or quarters back then, you know, quarters. Well, you know, when, so when he gets back, after he gets back to the car, after the, um, hanging up from Rourke, Bosch does a great job of tactfully asking Wish about those records because, because remember, he has to now go and revisit everything in his mind on who, whose side is who everyone on. Now he knows Rourke pretty much lied about Meadows and he pretty much is involved in this thing. He doesn't know how, but he knows he's involved. And he just checked out that SWAT is in the area and SWAT is helping out um, when it comes to FBI SWAT is in the um, Beverly Hill Wilshire Division on some type of operation. So that's that's true. So when he gets back to the car, he asks Eleanor, hey, where'd you get those records that uh, that you gave me? In reference to uh, Metal's VA records. And she said, well, uh, and, and I think I got them from Rourke. Again, uh, D, uh, I'm, I'm sure at least I picked up on that. That was inside him. He had to say, he had to say thank God. Okay, Eleanor is on my side. And then he prompts her to read the letter. And she misses the first, because there was two infer- inferences where Rourke's name is mentioned in these letters. And then when she does finally come apart upon the, um, the CC at the bottom of it, her eyes get big and go, holy shit. And then Bosch says to her, you know, hey, you know, I think all this is bullshit. I don't even think these things are happening. And she does a good job to bring Bosch back to, back to Earth. Says, you know, hold on a second. Wait a minute, what about the false alarms, the water, the arson, all those things to get water in the tunnel? Harry, this thing is going down. So they start spending like, well, what do we do? I pretty, I don't know what to do. You know, <laughs> you know, I've never been in this particular this this um, type of uh, this scenario before. And so they come up with an idea of, hey, you know what? Let's call the captain. Uh, I think it was a captain Orozco, who was the one from last chapter, who pretty much Rourke kind of dismissed, you know, uh, concerning his plans, and told him he was um, there there just as an observer. And as they get, as Bosch about to get out the car, they feel a low vibration, and they're like, "Holy shit!" Bosch like they're in. This thing's going down. Like, what is Roy? 
he's leading his own men to slaughter. And uh, what what um, Bosch does then, he says, you know what, call, you know, you, you call the FBI, other guys who are on surveillance. I'm going to go, to, I'll go handle the, uh, the call out of the two guys. Now, again, um, Michael does a great job of putting law enforcement work into play. And as the two officers roll up, um, we call it 10-4 units. That's two people together. And as they roll up, the, the, the lights are just um, blaring. I mean, the lights are, are, are going, but there's no siren. And that's, a, again, that's a law enforcement uh, that's a law enforcement tactic that's true. There's a couple other ones that he didn't put in, put in the book, and I don't want to, since I got my, my, my brothers and sisters out there, I don't want to really go into too much detail on you know other procedures that go about. But that right there is a true depiction of what standard operating procedures are when it comes to responding to a Berkeley or a, a, a defense in progress. So when Bosch gets, you know, he meets those guys, one of the things, again, I hope that you guys did, uh, picked up on, he goes into a couple of different details about the officers pulling out their nightsticks. And reason I, you know, how they first pulled out the, the, the plastic sheaths on the door and how the one officer, when he was interacting with him, he kind of held his hand on the nightstick. And at least in my mind, reason I thought this was relevant because this is right about the time right after the Rodney King beating. And again, for those people who might not know, Rodney King was a, a motorist who was beat brutally in 1991, I think March of 1991, by LAPD, and it was captured on video. And those sticks were, became, you know, was, was synonymous with LAPD. And so, again, I wonder if Michael kind of, again, that's one of those things I'm putting in my list of a, a thousand questions I want to ask Michael is was, was that whole depiction and how he really went into the officers handling their uh, nightsticks, was that based on, not based on, but did that want to bring some type of, re- or was it some type of relevance with the Rodney King beating? So now we have all four of the particular people involved, Bosch, the two PD um, uh, re- responding officers, and um, Avery uh, responding into the business and act as though things are, you know, to see if things are normal. Bosch tells Avery, look, just go through the normal motion. It's a false alarm. Let's act as though there's a false alarm. And then you kind of get, at least right here, and again, I've had this happen. You get citizens who, especially Avery's trying to protect his property. He whispers to Bosch, hey, well, I don't know why I whispered. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, I could open up the door, the vault door. And Bosch's like, nah, that's too dangerous. Let, let's would you normally do that? And, and so let's just do what you normally do. Let's just go through things as normal. Kind of Avery, Michael, Michael d- describes Avery as kind of being puzzled by Bosch's action here. Bosch also tells Avery, look, do me a favor. I just need you to do things that's normal. And what happened is either I need you to go around the corner to a diner, Darling, I think it's called Darling's, and Go there. Either I'll come and advise you what's going on, or I'll have someone come and advise you what's going on. But just go around the corner, okay? Again, you did, again, Bosch did handle. If you remember, again, last last uh, episode, I talked about trying to tactfully handle civilians. You don't want to just outright dismiss them because you never know if you're going to need them again. And again, I think Bosch actually uses a good ploy, or at least again, Bosch, but Michael uses a good representation on how a seasoned investigator would handle civilians, unlike Rourke, who just summarily dismissed. A couple of people, the DPW guy, the last um, episode, Bosch is kind of being more tactful with, with this. Hey, look, and, and pretty much said, look, just somebody will be around to advise you what's going on. So as Avery's going around, you know, the corner, he gets pulled over. And as my brother said last time, you know, dun, 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 you know, the ID guys, here, here they are again. You know, they, they've been kind of, you know, on the on the fringe. You know, Bosch remembers in this particular chapter, Bosch is thinking about, you know, he's looking for the LTD, the white LTD that's, you know, that's uh, look like a police car. And, you know, Avery says to him, officer, and he goes, "Uh, detective. And, you know, again, you can't assume a lot lot of citizens don't understand really the, the differences and nuances between officers and detectives. And or when you first interact with them, especially being pulled over, uh, that's actually is really a patrol officer's move. I mean, most detectives don't pull people over. And, and again, it just shows you the type of cop that Lewis is portrayed here, that he he's he's indignant that someone will call him a regular officer. I mean, I got called officer all the time. I really didn't give a shit. 
you know, they didn't, they didn't affect my pay, my status. But, you know, if a guy was trying to, you know, you got to use that, that, you know, that, that whole ninja thing. If he's trying to be a dick at you and, you know, he calls you officer, flip it back on him. You know, you can flip that back on him and say, you know, oh, because at the end he's going to need your help. And say, hey, look, I'm just an officer, you know. So, you know, you can play that either way. But you can see the type of cop that, that Lewis is right here because he's offended that Avery would call him an officer. I've been trying to hold back on my criticism and my disdain for Lewis because I know in this particular book, Lewis is a representation of the worst part of what I.D. does. And again, we said before, I.D. does a, a, a vital job when it comes to public trust and holding the police accountable. I, I, and again, I will always say that. And I, again, I, I, I bear repeating, I know some great I.D. investigators and they have all my respect. But I also know some shitty ID investigators and Lewis and Clark represent the, the worst, of, you know, the worst who are just out to get scalps, who are just out to get uh, uh, go up the ranks and make a name for themselves. And one of the things that what I, what I didn't like is that here they don't know Avery from they don't know Avery from anyone. And what, what, what does Avery, uh, excuse me, what does uh, Lewis say to Avery from the book? Thing is, we had Detective Bosch under surveillance for a week, sir. And we know he's engaged in some activities that could be, here's what I hate, who, that could be, if not illegal, embarrassing to the department. We aren't sure at this juncture, but we need for you to help. I mean, come on, really? You're going to tell a, a stranger that your, your, when your fellow brothers are, is involved maybe in something legal, if not something embarrassing from the department? You don't say that. You know, that's what, you know, that, that really, at this junction, I been holding back my criticism of uh, Lewis and Clark right, right now. Now they're blatantly involving the citizens to dismerge a, a federal uh, detective, a law enforcement um, name. And as we know, it's not true. So after he gets in the car and Avery then recounts everything he he's um, how he interacted with Bosch for the last two days. And after he does that, you know, based on his blind hatred of, of Bosch, Lewis assumes that Bosch is doing something dirty. Oh, he's he's got everyone by the short hairs. He's controlling everything. I just can't believe this. He said, "Boy, you know, I, uh, did you know what else did he talk about?" And he talked about the vault. Inferred, inferred that he wish he could get into the vault. Avery says, "Well, I, I can get into the vault." So, armed with this information, Lewis, you know, per instructed from uh, Deputy Chief Irving, Lewis tries to call Deputy Chief Irving, but Deputy Chief Irving, just like the last chapter, is not available, and you know, here his again Lewis's blind hatred and wanted to be. And again, his motives are really clear here because you know, basically, basically he says, you know what, I'm going to be the guy who who gets all the the credit. I'm going to be the guy who's going to be the hero, take down a dirty cop. I'm going to be the hero. And again, he lets his blind hatred and his overzealous ambition cloud his judgment here because you're stumbling into stuff that you don't even know about. So. You know, after they, after um, he returns back from uh, making a phone call, Clark asked him what what we're gonna do, and he, he he lied to his partner. He's like, "We go in," and that's not what happened. You know, you know, they walk up to the uh, um, to the uh, Beverly Hills safe and lock, and the surveillance team catches them. You know, like, hold on, we got we got your 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 guy you you were talking to earlier, Bosch, and two other guys. And like, well, d- describe them, you know, it's like, well, they pretty much look like cops. And when Elmer said, heckle and Jekyll. <laughs> oh, again, oh, no, I can't assume. Again, for my younger people, heckle and Jekyll was a, I want to say, hopefully Looney Tunes. Eee, boy, that's a good one. I, uh, uh, of two scarecrows. Uh, and they were, they were always, they were always up to miss miss good no no they were always up to mischievousness they always always doing something that caused uh a ruckus they were funny and uh they were you know i was a kid growing up everyone knew about heckle and jekyll so again the the surveillance team witnessed avery clark and lewis approach the vault and start actually opening the vault and by that time bosh like shit they are opening the vault but it takes like 50 seconds for them to actually get the vault open and Michael describes it as you know Avery spinning the wheel as the you know the wheel in the vault it's like the captain spinning the wheel on the Titanic and we know how bad what happens with the Titanic and I, I love that symbolism I love that visual representation of okay things are about to go bad 
And then, uh, again, from the book, um, uh, Michael describes it. He says, what happened next is like a movie to Bosch, an old movie, uh, a TV set where the sounds turned down. I picked that up. One of the things in, in police world is tunnel vision. When, it, when well, tunnel vision is, is a phenomenon, is, is a scientific phenomenon where is, as humans, as anxiety goes up, our brains start to focus in on the threat or whatever we're anxious about. And everything else, we start losing sight and, I mean, hearing, and we start losing our peripheral sight and everything focuses on the particular event in, in hand. And that's happened to me a, a thousand times. And again, this is, this it, everything's, it, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It's never happened to you. Well, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen to you. But I can't tell you how many times things slow down and people think, it's kind of a movie thing, but it really isn't. You can pretty much describe everything, but then some things you just can't describe. You, but the things you focus on, you can you can probably count the amount of. I'm I'm, I'm being overly sensationalized here, but you can probably count the many uh, the many freckles on a person's face. But that's the point I'm trying to make. Things slow down that much where you really focusing in on the event. So Michael describes it here. And he says everything seems to happen at one time at this particular junction. And again, he says from the book, Bosch felt as though he was in a moving uh, sidewalk going the wrong way, running, but not even getting closer because, you know, everything is kind of slowed down. So then we see Lewis and Clark being shot and Avery freaking out thinking he was shot. But Bosch pretty much, pretty much said, dude, you, you're, you're fine. You're not shot. And this part, I don't know about you guys, but reading this book, portion of the book and even just get ready for this particular episode this podcast my nerves knowing, knowing I know what's going to happen that's how great Michael's writing is it brings me back time and time and time again and that's why I love this book even though I know what's going to happen it got my heart pumping again again I, I was so excited to get this podcast out because I couldn't wait to talk about this but I got so nervous on this particular portion because here we go um, it's the chase is on the adrenaline is happening and and Michael starts to really show his, I mean he's been doing it throughout the book no, no doubt about it but I think this right here was his signature chapter again from the book when the black hole of the M16 came his way Bosch leveled his gun with both hands wrists on the cold floor and fired Franklin fired at the same time his shots went high and Bosch heard the glass shattering behind him Bosch fired two more rounds into the vault. He heard one ping off the steel uh, door and the other quit Franklin in the upper chest, knocking him to the floor. Again, that slow. Listen, listen how Michael captures that event. That, that, that probably happened in one one tenth of a second. But look, listen to all that detail. And I can tell you that is a very good description. What got me when he said the whole of the M16, that's how focused uh, Harry was on the threat at hand. He didn't see anything else. Again, he saw the whole of the M16, like, okay, buddy, you're really focused in. But that's, that's, that's actually really true. You know, I have not been in a firefight to that magnitude, but the ones that, the, the one that came close to it, yeah, you, uh, you, you do see, you know, I, I, I as I close my eyes, I see the event that happened, and I'm like, wow, I can still re remember it, and that was probably 20 years ago. And then um, Bosch witnessed Franklin dive into the uh, actual the hole that they, they, they've been digging to gain access to the vault. And I actually, I like this particular portion that comes up. I like this, what happens next. Again, I, I, it's probably, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my admiration and uh, of, of Eleanor Wish at this point of the book is probably, I, I, I haven't tried to hide it. I try to be fair and balanced, but it's probably leaked through that I like Eleanor. I like her from the, from, from the time where Bosch grabbed her on the arm and she smoked him with her, his eyes or her eyes. I, I, I fell in love with her character right then and there. Strong woman who's not afraid to go against an old credit cop. So I like this portion where, you know, Wish climbs in the room 
with her beret on her hand, and she the crouches in a marksman stance. And then Bosch, her approach to um, the vault on either. So again, tactics just rolling in really fast. And I like Bosch nods at her and she goes through first. So I'm like, oh, you know, but I don't, he, he was using his cover. He was covering her. But the fact that she rocked and roll and didn't say, oh, no, 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 uh, 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 my nails or, or, or something stereotypical like that. You know, he nods, nods at her. She nods at him. That tells you, okay, you go. I got your back. And boom, they rock and roll and go inside the vault. I love that. And then we have Harry going into pure instinctual Harry. Remember, he's been on instinct from the first time he woke up this morning. He not woke up, but we, we got to this chapter. He's reading the, 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 the VA files that he got from St. Louis. He finds out that Rourke has been manipulating his whole investigation from day one, at least his, his portion of it. And now he's now just going on instinctual habits. And the first thing he gets into, he, he goes instinctually into his tunnel rat days. Uh, he tells Eleanor, hey, look, I'm going down. Tell that tell friendlies and that's, you know, tell tell the SWAT teams that we call them friendlies that you got a friendly in the tunnel. That you got a, that you got a law enforcement in the tunnel. I, I, I how I'm dressed. So they won't shoot me coming through when they see me have a gun in my hand. And, you know, pure instincts kick in. And he makes the room dark and he gets, you know, he uses a couple of Vietnam tricks. But what I love is. You know, Michael, you know, you hear Eleanor yell, Harry, be careful. There might be more, you know, it might be more in the tunnel. So that thought that was that was pretty cool. And, you know, before he jumps into the hole from the book, he realized that he had poised at this moment many times before. It was always at the edge, at the entrance. At that moment was the most thrilling, but the most frightening to him. He would be at his most vulnerable the moment he dropped down the hole. And, you know, that, for me, because I've, I've never been in Vietnam, I've never been in a tunnel, but for law enforcement, that, that's something we call the fatal, fu- the fatal funnel. When you go through a door and you don't know what's on the other, other side, in our tactics and what we do, it's called a fatal funnel. That door, the door jam, the four corners of that door, we are trained to go through there in a, in a methodical but quick fashion because that's where, if you're going to be, if you have a bandit on the other side, he knows where to to, to aim his weapon, that funnel, that door. And so, no, I never dropped into a hole, but I have been in that fatal funnel, that tunnel, that hole. I can't even count how many times. And he, that description is so spot on because you do it, you're scared to die. Now, anyone who says, any cop who says they were not scared executing a warrant or going through a door, not knowing what's on the other side, who said they weren't scared, I'm just going to call bullshit because. I've done, I can't even count how many times I've done it. And just thinking about it right now, I get scared. But, you know, you over cross, cross pollinate, you know, TV shows. I'm a big Game of Thrones. Um, also, I'm a big Game of Thrones uh, uh, a fan. And I think early on in the books, um, again, I'm not sure the, the, the direct quote, but Brand is a character. He's a young boy. And his father's name is Eddard. And Pretty much Brand says, you know, can can a guy be brave and scared? And his father says, that's the only time a man can be brave is when he's scared. And that's true. I mean, the, that you can over, remember in humans, what we have with uh, fight or flight. And to overcome the flight portion of your instinctual nature and to still go through it, eh, that, that, that's a hard thing to do. So, again, you know, not to I digress, digress. That's my brother said, digress. So not to get too much off track. Here we go again. Michael is putting you the listeners into the real world of police work. I'd like to take a brief break and speak to what happened during between the last two episodes. I, as I said before, I was on a federal task force, and as I left the the, uh, the task force and retired, um, I was blessed with a bunch of different parties and a bunch of different um, events honoring my uh, retiring, and I really appreciate that from my from the PD. But the task force were not, was not able to do it because of circumstances and events and whatever. And so I, uh, they were able to uh, this last, like I said, between the last two podcasts uh, this month. And I was really, really floored. Um, the, the, 
the one when I left the PD, I was so much in shock. I didn't really have, uh, uh, didn't have the capability to take it in. Uh, just remember, I was doing law enforcement for over 29 years, and at the same time, the same day, I had to turn my gun in, my badge in, all you know, my ID folder, and I was just in shock. They put on a phenomenal um, presentation or party for me, and I so so enjoyed it. But uh, the, the task force put one on for me also. But now that the shock is worn off, and I'm, I'm doing this podcast and all other things, I was able to actually take in what they what they um, they gave me, and I want to really thank them for that. But one of the things they gave me, and I want to give this company a shout out, is called it's a um, uh, flags of valor. Flags of Valor. So go to www.flagsofvalor.com. Again, www.flagsofvalor.com. And it's this, they got some great stories, but pretty much it was this flag that was in uh, American flag and the thin blue line is, is in there. And I'm going to put that up on the website so you can, so you, the listeners can see it. But I tell you right now, those guys did a phenomenal job and I have to give them a shout out because one, they give, um, it's a great product, and um, and two, they give veterans, um, they employ nothing but veterans, so you can't go wrong with those two two things, and oh, also, this reasonably priced, too, so again, I want to give a shout out to those guys, uh, Flags of Valor, give a shout out to the people on the task force for giving me such a, um, a good send-off, and also give a shout out to all the people who gave me my my first one at the PD, a uh, great send-off. I'm, I'm just a very blessed individual, and continuing on with this podcast and all my my next uh, steps in life or my next adventure in life i want to say thank you to everyone and i will keep going let's go so after boss drops down the tunnel and he clears the area he's quickly realizes that rourke has played everybody and, you know, the, he misdirected the whole team cause, because the tunnel was dug totally opposite in which he thought uh, um, him and the DPW and everyone had, had, had surmised uh, the night before. At this time, kind of Bosch uh, realizes he's on his own. Again, it's not, uh, it's not nothing that he has not done before uh, because as he gave a great description early in the book, him, how him and Metals, how, how Tunnel Rats done things, they were pretty much on their own. So while searching, Bosch comes across the staging room, and there's two uh, bed rolls, two gas masks, and two backpacks, and two everything. And Bosch kind of thought, you know, Eleanor's warning about possibly being uh, two other people or more other people in the tunnel. And, you know, uh, he had thought about that. Everything was wrong, you know. It was just two of everything. So Bosch continues to chase and becomes uh, across what he described a rat hole. And... It uh, drops down into a stream of, uh, of the water drainage. Um, Bosch loses his footing and falls on his back. And again, again, I, I, I think as kids or any, anyone who has ever been in a tunnel before re- uh, recognizes this, you know, it's so much algae and uh, that you, you know, Bosch probably had hard heel shoes on, I'm assuming, but we shouldn't assume. So, but whatever footing he had, he was, uh, he lost his footing and f- fell down. So after he, he 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 regains his footing, recovers, and he starts seeing you know bloody uh, a hand smear print on the tunnel uh, uh, a couple of feet apart, and he just follows the blood trail. Again, you know I love this part because Bosch is on the hunt. You know he's 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 doing. We really get a, a sense of how it was, and again, very as much as Michael can give it to you. I think Mike uh, Bosch is described. He's scraping on his knees. He, he hurt. He's you know his calves hurt. Uh, he's sweating the whole nine yards. And as he is searching, as he continues to search for you know possible other other people, like well the the the, the shooters, um, Bosch comes across a dark figure. We you know as Michael describes it with two large orange eyes looking at him, and he freezes and then kind of slowly peeks back around the corner, and he realizes. The figure is a, a dead Franklin slumped against a wall, and again, Michael is, is Michael puts us in Harry's predicament. He's not stopping. He's going to go. You know, he has to go, and so he takes a Franklin's M16, his night vision goggles, and extra ammo pack, and then proceeds on uh, the, the trail. And as he's going down the trail, you know, he's going 
through this labyrinth of uh, mazes down uh, in the tunnel. And he happens upon Delgado, who believes Bosch is Franklin because of night vision goggles. And uh, from the book, he had taken no more than three steps into the new tunnel when he heard a loud whisper ahead of him. Artie, uh, are you going to make it? Come on, Harry, Artie. And Bosch froze from the book. Artie. The voice was hoarse again. Come on. And then Bosch whispers, coming. And, you know, <laughs> I, guess, I guess in this situation, you got to do what you got to do to make this, you know, to come out of it. But Bosch quickly realized, he said, after he took one step forward, he instinctively knew it hadn't worked and Delgado wasn't going to go for it. So he dove forward. He brought his M16 up and and he went down and the, shoot, the shooting ensued. Neither Bosch nor um, Delgado's uh, 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 shots took effect. You know, and, and I think right here, again, I want to give the listeners the world, uh, he's, the, he talks about how deafening the, the sound was in the tunnel with the two um, people firing M16 rounds at each other. Um, part of my training I had was a, um, I had M16 rifle um, for the PD. And part of, it was a modified, you know, for police, whatever, but pretty much the basic of it was an M16. And so one of the things that happened was when you, uh, one, one of the training is a movement obstacle course and you move, 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 go, go, go. And our training is you don't stop and raise your hand. If something goes wrong, you have a malfunction, you clear a malfunction, you act as though you, you are in survival. It, again, it's one-tenth of what, what Bosch has gone through and what, what Michael is describing here. But I could just go on to give you my, my, you know, try to give you, the listeners, some more perspective. And but I remember one time very clearly I have headphones on and and inside the headphones we have another soft ears. But I, the training was so intense that um, I didn't recognize I didn't realize it. But one time I did a maneuver and my headphones came off and you're firing rounds and, you know, they're live rounds. And everyone you had a line of maybe um, three or four other people. And in that closed environment, it is deafening. So. It, and, but you don't stop, you know, again, that's out. I'm pretty sure I keep referring to my training, but I'm pretty sure all PDs are the same, but you don't stop shooting. You keep going, you keep going through your progression. You don't raise your hand because you, you, you know, we were always trained that, Hey, in the live field, you don't get to raise your hand and do over. Uh, so you, you keep going. So headphones came off. I mean, my head protectors came off and my, excuse me, my ear protectors came off and it is a deafening. I remember my ears ringing for almost a week. And so then we have Delgado proceeds to run away, and he sets a trap for Bosch. And again, in Bosch, the, the the adrenaline is flowing. He you know he's he's in the hunt. He's chasing chasing down Delgado. As he's chasing Delgado, he starts to lose his footing, and he realizes, oh shit, I'm I'm in I'm in some type of a it's a trap. It's a trap. And Delgado shoots um, Bosch as he uh, you know as he's starting to slip slip on the algae again. Bosch feels the impact of a bullet um, tearing into the right portion of his shoulder, and I in Looking back on, you know, as as the the prevailing chapters will will reveal, that I think that slipping kind of soft, not softened, but um, lessened the damage to Bosch at the time when he after he got shot. Yeah, uh, after Bosch is shot, he quickly rec- um, does an assessment. He's falling. He's he's going into shock, but he does realize that Delgado is running away from him, and then the footsteps stop, and then. Delgado gets into an argument with someone, per, some other person that he doesn't even know who it is. So like, and then shortly after that, uh, he hears two, um, two gunshots. But how the, the distance between the gunshots, Bosch immediately recognized it wasn't an M14, excuse me, M16 rifle that did the shooting. And then um, Bosch hears some footsteps coming towards him. Again, from the book, there's nothing hurried about these steps that came through the water towards Bosch. Slow, methodical, like a bride, like a bride coming down the aisle. <laughs> Again, my, my Michael puts you into the world of what's going on right now. And then again, here's the big reveal that happens in this particular chapter. You know, Rourke emerges, pointing a pen light at Bosch. <laughs> and again, what we said from the very beginning, why I like Harry. Uh, he's a smart ass, and so first thing he's, you know. Bosch is, you know, always now the dude's shot. He's laying on the on on the in the tunnel floor, and he looks at um, um, Rourke and says, "You know, tell me." He says, "Tell me that little pointer has a matching set." <laughs> and then so then Bosch asks him, you know, 
You know, they didn't ask him. He told him, he said, you know, you killed Delgado. And then asked Rourke, you're a cop killer now. And I want to stop right here to why he's asked, is he a cop killer now? Again, no life is no more precious than the other. That's how I believe. You know, my life as a police officer is no more valuable than anyone else's. But what I take from this particular passage when he says, are you a cop killer? Because someone who kills a cop, who a known cop, you know, someone's in uniform, or if you know someone's a cop, that's a front not just taking up a life, but that's a front to society as a whole. And that person, to me, is worse than worse. I mean, of course, again, you know, there's no equal. You take someone's life. But to take a, a police officer's life in the line of duty, who, and you know he's a police officer, then that says he has, you know, he's already broken, you know, uh, not a code, but he's already killed somebody. So, you know, this guy's a piece of shit. Or this person's a piece of shit. But then also then to affront society by killing a known uh, police officer, that's a person who's lower than low. And so Bosch um, is, you know, at this juncture in the book, he's vibing for time. He's trying to do anything. He's putting anything on his ass. And, you know, he says, you know, well, kind of like pretty much give it up, Rourke. You know, wish knows. I told her everything. Um, she knows about the letter that ties you in. She's probably pro, uh, probably told everyone about what happened. He says, well, won't you give up now? You know, it'll go easier on you. You know, and again, he, you know, not pleading, but I guess in the sense he's pleading, he said, you know, you got, you got to help me out, man. I'm going into shock. And, you know, again, I, I like this portion of the book. You know, Bosch was, it says Bosch wasn't sure about it, but he thought he saw a slight change in Rourke's face and his eyes, and they kind of like stayed open. But it wasn't like he was stopped seeing. It was as though he was seeing something that wasn't inside, you know, that wasn't there. And then he kind of looked back and looked at Bosch with, uh, without sympathy, just contempt. You know, that was like, oof. You know, so, you know, he's pleaded for his life. And then all of a sudden, Rourke's kind of like looking at him like, uh, dude, you, you screwed up everything. And so then Rourke tells Bosch he admits to killing Meadows. And, and again, it's just as we thought. He, he killed Meadow, Meadows because he held back the J um, bracelet and pawned it. And this, 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 just as we've been thinking, and this portion of what they thought was, was why he got killed because it exposed, you know, the second portion of their crime. You know, they were going to, or their plan, they were going to, they, they, they stole Ben's diamonds. And then the second portion was that they were going to um, uh, steal uh, trans diamonds. And remember, they were in place, you know, from the time, we, we're just talking now of, of, of seven days. You know, we're on our seventh day, a sixth day, you know, from metals being killed until now they're inside the tunnel of the of the Beverly Hills safe and lock. So it of course it takes longer the time to, to to dig. So they had already pretty much had this these tunnels dug. They were just waiting for the last port the latter portion to actually do the breakthrough. So, you know, um, you know, so Roy expresses how this that messed up the overall plan and his frustration because he goes into this long monologue about who believes that Sharky called nine one one and the only person who could, you know, recognize or, or ID this guy to get on the hunt to find out what's going on happens to be uh, Harry, you know, one of his Vietnam buddies. And um, again, ba uh, you know, uh, Roar kind of ta uh, taunts Bosch himself. You know, he leans over Bosch and he, you know, is talking about, you know, you know, about, you know, Meadows had talked about him, talked to him about the Black Echo, you know, and all that voodoo bullshit. But when he leans over, Rourke recognized, I mean, excuse me, um, Bosch recognized that Rourke had his jumpsuit turned inside out. And again, if you remember, we talked about it uh, in part three on Tuesday, May 22nd, from the, you know, uh, again, from the book. The camera pinned, uh, panned up into the gaping hole was the ceiling of the tunnel. Light poured down from the, the vault above. Rourke stood there in his jumpsuit, looking down at the camera. And then he dragged his finger across his neck and the picture cut away. I when I read that, <laughs> I said that goddamn Michael. I mean, it was there again. Of course, it wasn't. But you know, uh, Sharky had given the description, thinking that uh, the individual who do who put metals. Uh, body in the pipe had uh, um, like some type of tool belt or something, and it wasn't a tool belt. It was just happened 
the pockets were inside out, and that's what Sharky thought. But you know, I I said, God, you know, I remember, I remember, like, oh man, Michael, can you talk about the breadcrumbs? You, you know, that that ah uh, moment it was again, it was there again. This is why I love Michael Connolly because he makes you think. You know, you it's not just cookie cutter. Did you guys pick up on the fact? Again, I've not been in, um, I haven't been in shock, and I have not had the experience to be around someone's in shock. So if anyone out there who has experience with working with someone or been in that, in that environment where they interacted with someone's in shock, but you know, I thought it was, uh, it was a good uh, attempt of levity if that's what Michael was doing. But you know, all of a sudden now um, Bosch is, is the, the consummate jazz man. You know, he started rapping before they was rapping, you know, you know, <laughs> I like, you know, he says, you know, uh, again from the book, Keep them, keep them talking, Bosch thought, and keep them talking, and you'll end up walking. You know, he goes, out of here, out of here, uh, um, someone's coming, um, my arm's humming, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, Michael is, uh, Mike, Michael got um, Harry as being the new MC, um, MC DMD or whatever the new rapper's name is. And, you know, again, putting you guys in the real life of law enforcement, especially investigative work, before the advent of uh, uh, DV, DVRs and DV uh, and recording uh, confessions or interviews, only thing we had back in those days were, were tape recorders. And people did not believe that criminals would confess. And, you know, most criminals, you know, a lot of them want to confess. They want to show how smart they are, how much, how brilliant they are, how the cops couldn't possibly pick up but for you know, some little nuance, they would have got away with the perfect crime. And here we have, here we have Rourke telling Bosch how he had the perfect crime and how he fucked things up and, you know, everything, you know, you know, Bosch's miserable life. But I just want you guys to understand the, the re even back then when we had a tape recorder, you know, some defendant was, you know, would come up with this preposterous idea. Well, yeah, I confess, but they had a gun to my head. So, you know, we went from tape recorders to DVRs to now everything's digital, which I think helps out law enforcement because pretty much when you sit in a room and you tell, you know, you know, you have a video evidence of a guy who's not under duress, who's been um, advised of his rights, and we just sit there and let him talk. It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to um, have a defense against that. So. Uh, I thought, again, that was really, really, really uh, spot on. Again, uh, some people, if you didn't believe that criminals want to confess, they do. And then we have, you know, you know, as we as we close up this particular chapter, you know, we have um, Roy poised to shoot Bosch and then Bosch, you know, gets ready. He 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 laments about the cold, about the warm water. And, you know, he closes his eyes and then he hears two gunshots and he forces his eyes open. And, um, you know, he focuses and sees that Rourke and his weapon and the light uh, have, have, have been um, pushed back and fell back against the tunnel wall. Then he thought he saw Eleanor's face floating in and out of focus. And then it sank away into icky blackness. That blackness was finally all he saw. So my everyone counts or no one counts moment in this particular chapter for part seven, Saturday, May 26th, it's going to be Harry Bosch. I mean, Harry is, I mean, he's the hero of the story and, and we see why he's the, the hero because he, again, is relentless, re-reading all the notes again. It could be quite easily just to keep those notes that he got uh, from Edgar uh, in, in the back seat of that car and not pick him up again. He's like, oh, I already read that before. Why would I look through it again? Or it, you know, the instinctual nature which he was handling Rourke, instinctively how he went into the tunnels, 
and just just let instinct go and get to the point where he stopped at least um, well he stopped uh, two of the uh, three bandits that he knew of so far uh, Delgado Franklin and appears as uh, um, Eleanor um, he kept uh, Rourke busy enough for Eleanor to find him and Eleanor to shoot Rourke so so my everyone counts or no one counts moment is going to go to Harry Bosch Well, friends, that concludes this episode of The Black Echo. Thanks a lot for hanging in with me while I retooled the podcast. It's always going to be ever-changing as I strive to make it better and more pleasurable for you. And please join me next time where we will be taking a deep dive into Part 8, Sunday, May 27th. And if you could be so kind to continue the subscription on to Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. And thanks so much for everyone remembering to give us five stars or better. Again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me come into your lives. Bye.